We last left off with police finding three bodies behind a strip mall in New Britain, Connecticut. One of those women, Joyveline Martinez, was a match for a DNA sample obtained from William Devin Howell's van. But what about those other two unidentified women? Jane Doe, number two, was identified as Diane Cusack in December of 2010. Jane Doe, number three, was identified as Mary Jane Menard in September of 2014. But gremlins, there's more. In April of 2015, four more bodies were found in that area behind the strip mall. These women would be identified much faster, all within a month or so of their discovery. They were Melanie Ruth Camelini, Marilyn Gonzalez, Janice Roberts, and finally, Nilsa Arismendi. I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. Yikes. <laughs> Welcome back. Hopefully you're tuning back in after the cliffhanger we left you with last week. Mm-hmm. Part two. Part mm-hmm. two. Duh. We now know that William Devin Howell is Connecticut's most prolific serial killer. Over the span of nine months in 2003, Howell murdered seven women. He raped six of them. Who is he really? Why did he commit these heinous crimes? How did he find himself in Connecticut in the first place? And most of all, what was his motive? We will explore all of this and more on today's episode. Woohoo. So buckle up, guys. This is <laughs> this is gonna be a doozy. Can I also just say it's really nice to have you like within six feet of us again? <laughs> Safely within yes. six feet. It's pretty good. We're Colb is officially out of COVID quarantine. Mm. My ear popped today for the first time in two weeks. I can fully hear Snaps again. For that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pretty excited though to hear about William Bill Devin Devin, Devin Howell. Yeah. Don't worry. I've AKA. A, I got a couple more names. We'll be able to call them. I'll share those. Did we already talk about how the all the killers are um, have three names? Did we talk about that? No, we haven't yet. But yeah. it's an interesting observation. It, it's yeah. like criteria, entry criteria to become a serial killer must yep. go by three names. Yeah. yeah. Except for Ted Bundy, he didn't want to fit the mold for some reason. Theodore Ted Bundy nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, a lot of what we know we including me, um, about William Devin Howell comes from author Anne Howard. She has a rather unique relationship with him. Um, I guess I would call them friends of sorts. He jokingly refers to himself as her pet monster. Very cute. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, as part of my research on this case, I read her book called In His Garden, Conversations with a Serial Killer, and I got so much information from it. Um, I would highly, highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in learning more about this mm. case, because believe it or not, there are some details that I am leaving out. So there's <laughs> definitely some stuff in the book. Um, awesome. Most notably, like all of the letters that Bill writes to Anne, because that's how a lot of their relationship develops is through written communication. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. she does visit him from time to time. Um, but she shares a lot of the information from his letters. Were there any photos? Does he have like serial killer scrawl? <laughs> no, I didn't see a photo of the written oh, okay. communication at all. So I don't know what his penmanship is like. But there were photos from like his childhood. A lot of photos in mm. the book. They were black and white in my copy. So <laughs> really pack a punch. But that's okay. I went and I looked them up and found them in color. <laughs> you used the Google machine. I used the Google machine. Okay. <laughs> 
and has impeccable timing um, because if you guys listened in the intro, right, like the last four women were found in April of 2015. Anne reached out to Bill in July of 2015, which I don't know that it was very well known at the time that those four bodies were connected. Because, you know, it took a little bit of time to identify the other four. I don't know exactly how many. But Anne just kind of reached out to him in the process of all of this unraveling. I don't think I processed, because when we were last talking, when were the dates, approximate dates, weren't they in like the 80s? The early 2000s, so 2003. Okay. Close, (laughs) close, plus 20 years. Okay. Well, do you know why you think that? Because to me, when I think of the 80s, I think 20 years ago, but the 80s were not 20 years ago, and (laughs) this actually was 20 years ago. So you have the time frame right just throughout decade. Something about the van, too, and just, I don't don't know, the description of all this just felt very much like the 70s and 80s, but... Wrong. Well, it, it does because I mean, like, if you think about it, when you think of stories like this where there's yeah. serial killers, you you don't think of present day. You no. think of like the seventies, the eighties, maybe the nineties, mm-hmm. but this is way more modern times, like twenty yeah. first century serial wow. killer. So, um, Anne and and Bill, right? They develop this relationship over time. Um, he grows to trust her, and he confides all of his secrets. And Anne, he confessed all of the murders directly to her. He answered any and every question Anne could think of. Wow. He disclosed more to her than he did his own lawyers. So he kind of told them, like, if you guys want to know what happened, talk to Anne about it. Interesting. And so, in turn, he has confided all of this in her. She then shares that with her readers. Um, I will say he did know that her intention was to write a book with all of this, so it's not like she misled him in any way. Um, Well, she kind of made him believe initially that she thought he was innocent when she said, like, all along, she believed him to be guilty of, mm. of the crimes. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, she was very clear with her That's intentions. That's awesome. Good for her. Yeah. So because she has this really great relationship with him, there is just a ton of information available on him. So we're going to go deep. Excellent. Um, and we're going to start with his childhood. So who is William Devin Howell? He was born in Hampton, Virginia on February 11th, 1970 to Melissa and John Howell. He was actually their fourth son and probably not a planned pregnancy. Um, I know it's a lot more common for women to have children later in life now, but in the 60s or 70s, this was abnormal for a woman to be pregnant when she was 40, Ooh, uh, wow. which yeah. was the case here. Wow. Also, they didn't have the technology that they have now mm-hmm. for monitoring um, yes. high-risk pregnancies, mm-hmm. which they would call that geriatric, I which I think is say, rude. Unfair. It's it is. Rude. It's like over 35. It is over 35. It's, it's a geriatric pregnancy. Like, I know. I just, it just, geriatric just uterus. Naturally, I, all I can think of is stepbrothers. <laughs> yeah. Keep your liver spotted hands off my beautiful mother, you geriatric fuck. <laughs> She's a saint. Okay. So he, so he's their fourth son, right? We talked about this. Um, his, two of his brothers are significantly older than him. So Melissa had her first two boys by the time she was 20. So wow. 15 yeah. years later, she welcomes a surprise son who is not William Devin Howell. It's a oh, third child. Right. And then after five more years, then William is born. Wow. So his oldest brother is significantly older Mm -hmm. than him. Like, and I'm not going to call him a father figure, but like his older brother has children that are his age, right? So it's kind of a a different kind of relationship than like I would have with my siblings because Mm -hmm. just the age gap. So Bill says he had a relatively normal and good childhood. He was never abused by his parents. Both parents worked. Um, his dad was a machinist, and his mom worked at Whataburger 
and mm-hmm. she was very active in Bill's school. Uh, she was the room parent for his elementary class, mm-hmm. which my mom did when I was in <laughs> kindergarten, and it kind of just meant she came and she read books yep. to us. That's nice. This That's is different. Nice. Yeah, yeah this right? Is it's different. different. Like waiting for the other shoe to drop here. It's not going to drop. Wow. She attended PTA meetings regularly. regularly That's like burglary. Burglary. She attended <laughs> like PTA it. meetings regularly and even was the school's lunch lady for a while because oh. she really wanted to be close to her baby. Oh, that's so sweet. At home, seems like the family liked to keep busy. Um, Dad would spend his time working on projects in the garage, doing man stuff, working on cars, <laughs> building things, all that fun stuff. Um, he was a self-sufficient jack-of-all-trades, or as my husband would say, he was a real salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, just like a good old-school dude. Our gremlins cannot see the hand action that goes it, with I that. did like, like the Italian yeah. hand motion with this, because my husband is very Italian. Um, not Long Island Italian, though, I guess I should clarify, so not like very Italian, just Italian. Yeah. Sorry, boo. <laughs> Um, his mother, right, in addition to being super active in Bill's school life, she loved to crochet and she actually taught him how to do cross stitch and he learned yes. how to make ceramics as like a young boy. He was into all of this stuff, which I think is kind of cool. It is. Right. Very well rounded. Very well rounded. The confusion on my face is just because I, that's not, I'm with yeah. you, this is not normal for Every, us. <laughs> he had a very structured childhood. Every Thursday night, his older brother brought his family over to play Pinochle, um, and Bill got to hang out with his nephews, who I had mentioned were his age. From the time he was five, every Wednesday, he went to the boys' club. Um, He went there every other Saturday. It sounded like that was a good time. He played pool. He watched movies in the movie room. Um, He learned how to box. He played dodgeball. So, you know... I kind of agree with Bill's assessment. He had a pretty normal childhood by all accounts. It sounds like he had a good one, you know, above above normal. It was yeah, good. Definitely. Sounds like Bill's really going for the uh, nature versus nurture argument yeah. here. Yes. Yeah. As far as killers go. Yep. So this begs the question, how did this guy become a serial killer? Mm-hmm. Are some people just bad at their core? Well, Bill himself has concluded that his life went wrong when he started drinking. Which, do you guys want to take a guess at what age he started drinking? Eight. 12. Oof. So, and why did he start drinking at such a young age? Well, because alcohol is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but his mother got sick. Oh. So when he's 11, his mom is diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, after her treatments, when she's feeling better, she returns to work. It was probably a bit premature because she ended up having a stroke on the job and oh. she was hospitalized. Um, she does have several more strokes while she's in the hospital. Um, So now, really, she spends the last three years of her life propped up in a bed, gazing out at the neighborhood. She's paralyzed on her left side from the strokes. So So if you think about the picture I just painted of this active mother, room mom, PTA, it's such a big change for her. Yeah. Like, I cannot imagine how heartbreaking this was to experience, like, for for both her and the Howell family. Young, right? right? Because if he was born when she was 40 and he was 12 and only 52, so she was young. Yep. Oh. Quick math, I like it. I know. Bill says, on several occasions, his mother would ask him to bring her his father's handgun and then tell <sighs> him to go outside and play. He said his mom was suffering. He understood what she was asking, but he never brought her. Oh the my gun. gosh, that's so sad. But, oh. but guys, think of, think about what that does to you for wow. like hearing that from the time you're like a 12 year old child. Oh. Like that has to really mess with you. And you're and like, just, you take it personally yeah. too, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And you're just old enough to understand kind of the implications, but not fully understand right. everything. Oh, that's really sad. Wow. Yeah. 
So this is really when things start to get out of hand for Bill. Um, he starts drinking almost daily. He shows up to school intoxicated. Mm. I read in, in Anne's book that there was actually one day he showed up and one of the teachers pulled him aside and said, like, you reek of whiskey. So wow. it's not just like he's drinking, like he is getting drunk wow. every day. I was going to say, thankfully, a teacher noticed that because I feel like as an mm. adult, I would notice if a child yes. was drunk mm-hmm. or if they smelled like alcohol. I feel like I would notice that. So Bill reflects on his behavior later in life, and he says, you know, he was just self-medicating. This was his coping mechanism. He used alcohol, marijuana, and even his girlfriend to try to distract himself from his real-life problems. Mm. He didn't want to deal with them. This was how he chose to deal with them. His father is working full-time, and just he doesn't have the energy to pay attention to Bill. You know, he's working. He's got an ailing wife that he's caring for. So Bill kind of does what he wants when Mm -hmm. he wants. Grim fact number one of this episode for you guys, it is around this time when Bill picks up his first prostitute. He is 14 or 15. He said once he got a taste, he was hooked. Like it was a one and done. He was hooked. (laughs) But um, oh my God, we missed it. Yes. Yes. You're welcome. This was his secret addiction. So at this point, Bill is 15, running wild. He... You know, his mom slips into a coma and she's hospitalized for three days before she passes away. Grim fact number two, Bill was not there by his mother's side when she passed away. Mm. Bill was busy self-medicating. He says he was with his girlfriend having sex when his mother passed away. So I think that that weighs heavy on him for for a lot of his life, that he was there for the first two days of her hospital stay, but he wasn't actually there Mm -hmm. when she passed. So I I think that 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 does something to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Once his mother's passed away, um, he starts to get a little bit more reckless. Uh, He and some friends think it would be a really cool idea to break into Sears. I guess they were riding their bikes by, and they noticed that the gate was left partially open. So they went inside, not thinking they were going to trip an alarm. They did. The police came. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like there were any consequences. They didn't take anything, Mm -hmm. and they were like 15-year-old kids Mm -hmm. at the time. So I I think they just kind of let them go. Mm -hmm. Shortly after the Sears incident, uh, he stole a dirt bike. Interestingly enough, he was not riding the dirt bike when they got caught with it. It was a different friend of his who ratted him out. Oh, we know. Bill hates snitches. I was going to say, what do they say? (laughs) Snitches get stitches. (laughs) Yeah, you missed it. (laughs) So why did I tell you guys all of this? You picked up on it really quick. Um, I think some of our gremlins probably did too. Bill's not exhibiting the telltale signs yeah. of a serial killer or a child, right, that you would have to watch for some sort of developmental right. disorder. So there's something called the McDonald triad, which is what we've all been describing. So I actually didn't know this is what this was called hmm. before I looked it up. So the McDonald triad is a pattern of behaviors that when observed in childhood can be a predictor that there's an increased likelihood of homicidal and sexually predatory behavior occurring later in life. Ooh. The three signs... Cruelty to animals. Mm, yeah. I've heard that. Obsession with fire setting. Mm. Persistent bedwetting as a child. Oh, that, that one came out of left field. That one's interesting. I, interesting. Yes. So to hit on each of them, cruelty to animals. Bill loves animals. Like I read, there's an anecdote in the book about how, you know, somebody was watching his dog and had his dog euthanized. I don't exactly know why they weren't supposed to do this, but Bill was livid. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? I, I support uh, him. Yeah. If anybody hurt Fallon, like <laughs> oh I would gosh. murder them. Yeah. Like, do not come for my pets. They're yeah. innocent, perfect beings. Was he the one that had pets in his cell? Did you tell us about that? Not in his cell, but there were like jailhouse 
animals oh, that right. he considered a pet. There was a frog on yeah. one occasion. Okay, yes, yeah. the frog. It is um, him. Okay. There was a mouse, and he, you know, yes. he loved them. He gave them little names like Mousy, Froggy, not super creative. But wow. and listen, I have a cat named Kitty. So. I have a cat named <laughs> K10, which is a shorthand for kitten. Yeah. Is... I'm not the best at that either. <laughs> I don't know. That was, that's pretty creative. Pretty so good. I I will say, in case anybody who's listening to us is like, oh, the McDonald triad has been disputed. It, it has. Um, there are some studies that have been done that suggest that the three warning signs are actually more indicative of a child suffering from abuse or neglect than really like a red flag. But... I don't, I don't know the cruelty because I can, I could see like bedwetting being attention, either conscious or subconscious attention seeking. And what was the second one? Fire oh, setting. Yeah. That, well, oh, that's kind of fun. I know. That's what I, was <laughs> I didn't set anything on fire, but I love fire. Yeah. Okay. So, so whatever. But yeah, I don't know the cruelty to animals. I, I, I don't think you just, I think that's a bone you have. I yeah. Know, I think that's something that's inside <laughs> I don't you. Know. It's a bone you have? I meant it's in your bones. I don't know. Some of us are just born with that animal cruelty bone inside of our bodies. That's what I was trying to say. We'll skip that. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll leave it in. Little bonus content. So I wanted to tell you guys about the mom getting sick because there are a couple things that become noticeable at this time. There's a bit of a change in his personality. So Bill is not being reprimanded or corrected for his be- bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Remember, he does what he wants. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of Eric Cartman. I don't know if anybody <laughs> here is a South Park fan, but Eric just kind of runs wild. And every time I read through this in my notes, I was like, whatever, I do what I want. And that's just, <laughs> that's Bill as a child in my <laughs> yes. head, Eric Cartman. Um, and then the other thing that becomes very noticeable, and it was, it was kind of slight in the way I put it in the notes, but he will not take accountability for his own actions. He defers blame to others. Mm. So the dirt bike, it wasn't him that had the dirt bike. Somebody else was riding it. Why did mm. they arrest him? Because the other person narked on him. He didn't mm. get caught with it. That's it wasn't interesting his fault. because he like fully confessed to everything to Anne. Yep. So that's mm. interesting. He, You guys will see he's a very interesting dichotomy. Mm. Like there's two sides of Bill mm-hmm. and we'll kind of get into that as the Is episode unfolds. Gemini? No, he's not though. He's February. What would, yeah, would you be a Pisces? Uh, late Aquarius. February, I think, is Pisces. Aquarius, then? I don't know. We'll have to study is up. That, is that bad, Gremlins? Do Aquarius is murder? I don't know. I don't, this I don't is know. the dawning of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> is it really a grim episode if Marina doesn't sing to us? No. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> or do an accent. We have been slacking with our accents, That's so we true. have to do that. Oh, we are in how many countries now? Like 14. No, it's way more than that, isn't Whoa. it? No, that's states I'm thinking of. We're, <laughs> we're in like 40 states or something. 41 states. 41. No, Alaska and Hawaii, yeah, as far as I can tell. Wow. Got to get out there. So to kind of round out the picture of Bill's childhood, so five years after his mother passes away, his father passes away. Oh. So at 20 years old, Bill has neither parent present. He has all of his siblings, but I, you know, They're some older. of them are older. Yeah, They've got their right. own families. Oh. So he's pretty much on his own from this time forward. Um, He does have a small support system. I had mentioned he had a girlfriend. Um, His Mm -hmm. girlfriend at the time, Mandy, they actually dated on and off from the time he was 13 to when he was 22. They even had a couple kids together. Um, They have two children, I believe a boy and a girl. They do eventually break up. Mandy marries another man, and she moves the children away from Bill, who Mm. never sees them again. Oh, geez. So I want to make it clear that I am in no way, shape, or form suggesting that any of this was a valid reason for Mm -hmm. the crimes he would go on to commit. I'm just trying to offer a look inside of his mind and maybe the events that shaped him Mm -hmm. to be the man that he became. 
And so far, we've talked about Bill's life in Virginia, but we know his crimes occurred in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Right. So how did he end up here? In the spring of 2000, Bill met a woman in a chat room named Jessica. ASL. Sidebar. Yes. (laughs) Do you remember chat rooms? AOL chat rooms. Yes, I do. Um, I also remember being on them. Sorry, Dad. At like... I young yes and like saying ASL like, yes and lying you know? yeah like I was maybe 11 or 12 yep. and I'm like 16 yeah and yes. in retrospect that is horrifying how did more of us not get abducted I, is what I, I don't wonder. know I don't know and you know what I still see people like I don't we definitely as kids didn't realize it back then yeah. and I still no. think people don't realize it now the amount of information that oh. you give away like a 15-year-old would be like, oh, well, I need to go um, I need to go to my soccer game. Right. Like, go Blue Falcons. Right. <laughs> and right. if you know their state and you pull yeah. up there and, you know, people are show up at their high school mm-hmm. meets and Ugh. people still do that on Facebook. I see people so post, creepy. like, their home address. And yeah. Yep. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2000, he meets Jessica. She is 19 and he is 30. So Bill into the younger ladies. Mm-hmm. The two of them talk, they get to know each other over the course of several weeks, and she actually comes to visit Bill in September of that year. So she goes to visit him in, in Virginia. She must have liked what she saw because Bill asked her to move in with him, and she says yes. Interesting. Okay. So the Jessica, mullet. The mullet really did it for her. I think it did. It also could have been his blonde eyebrows that appeared to be white because he spent <laughs> so much time out in the sun. Oh. <laughs> uh, could have been that. He, he could have been a worse looking guy, I guess. We'll, we will post photos of him on our Instagram mm. account. Um, but I certainly would not move halfway down the country. I wouldn't move down the coast for this guy. To each their mm. own. To each their own. So Jessica packs up her life in Connecticut. She, you know, brings everything to Virginia. But alas, before she can finish moving in, Bill is driving without his license, as we know he really <laughs> oh, likes no. to do. And he runs a stop sign. He gets pulled over. He's nervous he's going to end up back in jail. So he gives uh-huh. the cops some bad information. No. When he goes back to run the information, Bill takes off. <gasps> like, he flees on, fo- on foot. Oh, on foot. Mm. He gets away. <gasps> okay. But he left a piece of mail in the car that oh had his God. name and address on it. Not his fake name that he gave the police officer, <laughs> but his real name. So... He is not dumb, right? We, we've talked about it. He does some small dumb actions, but he, he knows that he yep. left this piece of mail oh, okay. in the car. I, I'm not sure how he knows. But at this point, he realizes he can't stay in Virginia if mm-hmm. he wants to avoid jail time. So he decides he's going to move to North Carolina. I okay. believe to the boonies where his friend Harry lives, oh. because like we talked about mm-hmm. in episode six, it's a good place to lay low. And Bill mm-hmm. seems like he might need to lay low right about now. <laughs> He tells poor Jessica that he can't live with her in Virginia, so either she can move to North Carolina with him or she can pack it back up and go to Connecticut. Oh, gosh. Jessica at this point is probably thinking she dodged a bullet with this one, and Mm. she says, meh, I'm going to pass and I'm going to move back to Connecticut. So he goes to North Carolina solo. I don't know why, but the two keep talking. Oh. And over time, they decide to get back together. So by February of 2001... She asks him to move into her apartment oh, with her geez. in Connecticut. So that is how Bill came to Connecticut. I mean, he, running a stop sign isn't that. Like, we're like, ooh, you should avoid him like the plague because we know he's a serial killer. But, like, running a stop sign and yeah. fleeing from police, not our cup of tea, but, like, there's someone for everyone, you know? That's yeah. true. I think I would just be sad off that he's like, I got to go to 
North Carolina. Like, exactly. Why? why do you have to go to North Carolina from Virginia? Like, that's far. I think I'd be <laughs> okay with the, like, if you got a ticket for not yeah. having a license even and all that. But the running, I think, is probably a no-no for me. I, I, I myself have been known to like a bad boy or two. And I, <laughs> I did date somebody that had their license suspended and he did not have insurance. And it's a risk you run. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, it plays yeah. out and sometimes it does not play out. <laughs> Mike has a perfect driving record. That is true. This is not current husband. So Bill and Jessica's relationship does not last very long. By the summer of 2001, they're broken up. So he actually moves out of her apartment and gets himself some roommates and a new place to live. Do you know where her apartment was in Connecticut? I think it was somewhere like in the northern part of the state. For some reason, mm. Torrington is standing out in my mind. If okay. that, is that like the northwestern corner? <laughs> so Laura looked at me, but guys, I have a sincere confession. I am so geographically challenged. I I couldn't tell you. I mean, same. And I'm pretty sure. No, I'm thinking of Thomas. I think it's I just Northwest. Yeah. I think it's Northwest. I, th- I think it was Torrington, but like towards Litchfield. Yes, I think so. I think that's up there. Mm-hmm. I just know. I know he worked at a grocery store. He he bagged groceries. Well, we only have those in Torrington. So. <laughs> Ouch. (laughs) So, moving on. Okay, so he gets himself some roommates, right? They are heroin addicts. Oh, no. And he hates this about them. So, so much so that he decides, like, he can't live with them. So, he packs up all of his stuff, and he gets ready to move out. Side note, maybe this is where his dislike for heroin comes Mm. from. I don't know if he disliked it before living with these people, yeah. And that's also, I kind of support that. That's a good yeah. decision that I'm, I'm with him on that one. Yeah. Roommates don't let roommates shoot up. <laughs> I stand by it. So Bill packs his car, right? He's, he's getting ready to go back to Virginia. Literally, as he is gassing up his van to go to Virginia, he meets a girl at the gas station. And she is pretty. And he asks her out. And she says yes. Oh, he's a chick magnet. Yeah, the he, eyebrows, man. He has eyebrows. He was so, so close to leaving the state. Mm-hmm. Like, he was on his way out when he met this girl. Mm. Think about what could have been if he would have just left the state of Connecticut. People would be dead just somewhere else. I was somewhere just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Just not Connecticut. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. Yep. So, this particular girl he meets at the gas station... Nothing pans out with her long term, but Bill does end up dating several women after he and Jessica, right, the girl he Mm -hmm. moved up here for. um, He ultimately decides he's going to stay in Connecticut at this point in time. He's not going to go back The women are good here. The women are good up here. (laughs) They are. Good looking up in Connecticut. Don't know where the towns are, but they are good looking. Hey, don't need to know where the towns are. Bill can tell us. (laughs) So at at this point in time, right, so we know that Bill kind of does whatever he wants when he wants to. Um, he doesn't always take accountability for his action. He defers blame. So there's two other things that are important to keep in mind about Bill and kind of shaping his perspective of life. So we know he spent most of his adult life in and out of prison for nonviolent offenses, mm-hmm. right? They were mostly for driving-related things because he always drove without a license. <laughs> yep. um, we talked in our last episode that he only had a valid license for one and a half years of his life, which is just crazy to me to think about that because what have we had our life? 15 16 years Mm -hmm. it's just nuts i hate to break it to you it's more than it's more than 15 i don't like talk about that (laughs) it's like how the 80s were 20 years ago for you (laughs) 
The last thing to keep in mind is he's addicted to prostitutes. Mm. He solicited his first one, right? We talked about Mm -hmm. when he was 14 or 15. And over the years, he said he has picked up hundreds of them. Hundreds of prostitutes for Bill. Uh, If you get to this, you can, um, I'll hold my question. But how is he paying? Isn't, I mean, I don't know what the running rate is, but if you're if you're going for hundreds of prostitutes, is he does he have a good job? What's He's he a landscaper. Okay, lots of and cash. he he has very loyal clients up okay. here in Connecticut who really love him. And after you know he is eventually arrested, and people are talking about the crimes he committed, it's it's almost like they're like not my, not my bill, not the guy mm. that cut my hedges. He was such a nice southern mm. gentleman. He really, I don't want to say he has two faces, but he mm. really has two distinct personas. So we know this is not the best track record so far for Bill. He's got a couple of less than desirable personality characteristics, but nothing so far indicates any kind of violent tendency, right? What are we missing here? Well, in the early 2000s, Connecticut had a very big heroin problem. And do you know who is often addicted to drugs? Oh, prostitutes. prostitutes. Bill's favorite people, prostitutes. So mm. I think this is the connection yep. where something happens here. So we're going to jump forward to the year 2003, which we know is when he goes on his murder spree. Mm-hmm. So Bill's still in Connecticut. He's doing work as a landscaper. He's living out of his van. He's dating Dory Holcomb. He does stay with Dory some night, so he doesn't live with her, but he talks about you know, Southern gentleman, he helps her pay his Mm. rent. He couldn't afford his Mm. own place because he wanted to help out Dory. Um, But he doesn't live with her full time. He he sleeps in his van some nights. And when he's not in his van, he's at Dory's house. All I can think every time you say in his van is in a van down by the river. (laughs) Who's that? Chris? uh, Chris Farley. Farley, right? It's not as funny when I do it. Sorry. I I hate that I'm saying this next statement, but I'm going to say it because it's important. Bill has what I would describe to be an insatiable sexual appetite. So despite being in a long-term relationship with Dory, he is picking up prostitutes Mm. on the reg, left and right. I, from everything I could tell, I don't think Dory was aware that this was going on, probably because he would do it on nights that he wasn't staying at her home. Um, but this is this is something that's very evident. He even talks about this, like in the letters with Anne, in some graphic, gross detail. Um, that if anybody reads the book, you can definitely see. But he just he's insatiable. He needs more, more, more. In early February of two thousand and three, Bill's going to cross a line that there's no coming back from. He decides to take a little shopping trip. He goes to the hardware store to buy some supplies. Nothing out of the usual: duct tape, mm. rope, mm. a hammer zip ties to a murder kit all things that seem innocent separately but when you Mm. put them together like you said marina murder kit (laughs) but they don't seem that strange for a self-employed landscaper to purchase at the hardware store right oh i forgot he's a landscaper yeah that's true yep yep what bill is actually doing he's buying the materials he needs to act out his dark fantasy raping a prostitute Uh, oh boy That is where we are going to start talking about the victims. So Melanie Ruth Camelini was a 29-year-old mother of two. Her sister described her as a good mom who wanted to be better. She wanted to kick her addiction so she could be there for her kids. She also said that her sister had a knack for finding that one person, um, which I I think she's implying that she gravitates towards people who were not good for her, people Mm, who she thinks she can fix. And unfortunately for Melanie, her sister was right because Melanie would end up being Bill's first victim. So on Saturday, February 2nd, 2003, 
Bill was hanging out at a place that's near and dear to all of us, Cadillac Ranch in oh, Southington. No. No way. I wish I was making it up. <gasps> no. Bill frequented Cadillac Ranch. So I think about <gasps> if he was never caught, we <gasps> definitely would have run into him there at some point in time. Okay, wait. <gasps> so I did not know that. And that is blowing my mind beyond measure. So this was 2003. Yep. So A, like could have run into him because I went to high school in Southington. Also blowing my mind because my parents had a country band and they used to perform and they have performed at Cadillac Ranch. So it's like, oh my gosh, did William Devin Howell watch my parents perform a country song? What was the name of your parents' band? The Backwoods Band. Love it. Mm. So Bill, if you ever listen to this, did you see the Backwoods Band at Cadillac Mm. Ranch? Do you know? Wow. Comment on our Instagram if you did. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Find a CEO who will let you borrow a phone and comment. Wow, that's close to home, Colby. You really, you struck a nerve over here on this side of the table. Yep. Wow. He he strikes out. He doesn't pick up any women at the bar that night. So that's when he decides he's going to go out and pick up a prostitute. Picks up Melanie in nearby Waterbury, Connecticut. So for our listeners mm-hmm. that aren't as familiar with Connecticut, it, it's probably about like 15, 20 mm-hmm. minutes away from where we're describing. So it doesn't go too far. So he picks up Melanie. He drives to a McDonald's parking lot and they complete their agreed upon transaction <laughs> in the parking lot. When she was done, he grabbed her by the throat, oh. pinned her down on the back bench in his van. He duct taped her hands in almost like a like a prayer type. Mm. So she couldn't really move them duct tape her mouth, and then he drove her to a more private location. When they reach their second location, he spends the next 12 hours raping her on and off. When Bill was done, he said he knew he had to kill her to stop her from from coming forward about his crime. He wasn't wearing a mask. She could very Mm. easily identify him. That goes to your theory. That's what you always ask. If if you see their face, you know you're in trouble. Yep, if you see the face, you know you're in trouble. So fight or flight. Bill, right, he he says he's got to murder her, or he has to kill her, rather. So he hits her in the temple with the hammer that he bought. It literally does not phase Melanie. Like, she does not move at all after being struck with this hammer as hard as he can swing it. Instead, she pleads with him, like, please don't kill me. I have small children. So she's she's trying to appeal to the humanity inside of Bill. Uh, he he later will say that he momentarily thought, like, I I can't kill this woman. Like... Almost like it's like a sign, like I struck her and nothing happened and she's pleading and she's his first. So he he said he ultimately knows he has to go through with it. So he he ends up strangling her. Um, As a quick aside, he said that she was the only victim he could not look in the eye when he killed her. He looked away. So he said after that, he felt like if he was man enough to commit the crime, he had to be man enough to look them in the eye. I'm so perplexed by this guy because it's just so outside of what we normally, normally in these, in our podcasts here, just how he, um, you know, his upbringing and stuff. It's your face when I'm trying to tell. You're going to be more, you're going to be more perplexed. The more we, we talk about Bill and who he is, you're, you're just going to be scratching your head at like, huh, him? It's almost, I think the word I'm looking for is almost relatable, obviously not in actually committing murder, but all the other things we hear about, I'm just like, wow, that person's crazy. They, they're they terrible. But with this, it's like, I don't know, thoughts that, like it being a sign, that's a thought I would have. And it's yeah. just, it's weirding me out because it's, um, I don't know, just not what we normally hear. Now that he has strangled her, he's got a body on his hands that mm. he has to dispose of. He tries to bury her, 
But remember, it's February. Oh. So the ground is frozen solid because we're in the middle of winter mm-hmm. up here in the Northeast. So what does he do with her body? He keeps her in the van with him for two weeks. <gasps> Ew. He lives in the van. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So he's sleeping next to her corpse for two weeks in the van. Think about that for a second. I don't want to. <sighs> it, it's, it's, not, it's not pleasant. Bill himself even says it was not great. <laughs> Fucking understatement <laughs> of the century, buddy. <laughs> not great. He was nervous to have her body in his van for so long, so he dismantled her jaw and sliced off her fingertips because he thought if those things were not with the body, they wouldn't be able to ID her. Still can't bury her, though, so he looks around for another solution, and he stumbles upon a barrel in the woods, and he thinks, this is perfect. I'll just put her in the barrel for safekeeping. I'll do my thing, go down south for the winter like I like to do, think nothing of it, and, you know, when I come back up, I'll be able to find a place to bury her body. Marina and I are speechless at yeah, this turn I'm, of events. I'm still trying to process how, like, dismantling her jaw and taking her fingertips off. Like, if a police officer looked in the van before, they might be like, oh, there's, like, a blue person sleeping versus someone who's missing their jaw. Also, where did he put those? Because if you just put it in, like, the front of the van, that's not They helping. were in her pockets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he put those. I, I assume in the not in the barrel right. with her because he wanted them right. to be separate in case anybody stumbled on the body in the van, in the barrel, in, in any way. He didn't want them there. Yeah. But I, the book didn't say where he put those things. Um, he, he is not the type of killer who keeps trophies for mm. his victims. It's not that it's not that like he feels a shame about what he did. That wouldn't be right to say, but it, it's almost like the memory is enough for him. He mm. doesn't need a physical reminder of mm. what he did. The only thing he ever kept, he kept one of Melanie Camellini's rings because he said it marked the day when he became a monster. So he he didn't remember it fondly or keep it because it was a fond memory. Huh. It was more like this was a monumental turning point in my life and I need something to remember that by. Mm. He's very deep. Yeah. He is very deep and poetic, as we know from yeah. episode six. It's it's a shame that, that some people use their talents for, for bad. I think mm-hmm. I will always think that. Um, I got another grim fact for you guys. You mm-hmm. ready? Mm-hmm. Going to blow your mind. Bill was not the only person to dump bodies in this location. So where Bill's victims are all buried is in a, or was in a shopping plaza wooded area mm-hmm. um, in New Britain, Connecticut. So in the early 90s, a man named Robert Haunch murders his wife, Marsha Haunch, and his 17-year-old daughter, Elizabeth Haunch, oh. and disposed of their bodies in the same area. His daughter oh. was wrapped up in a sleeping bag and oh. in one of the dumpsters that, like, backed up into mm-hmm. the wooded area and his wife was found in the woods so oh. i i don't know if bill was aware of this i'm gonna guess no yeah. because he wasn't in connecticut in the 90s yep and I'm, I'm not too sure when these bodies were found relative to when bill's victims were found but i just i thought that was really interesting yeah you don't get it either because it doesn't seem like a shopping plaza doesn't seem like a great place to hide a body it does not seem like a great place to hide a body and it you know so for our non-connecticut listeners the the shopping plaza where Bill has his his bodies hidden here. Um, it is in New Britain, Connecticut, but it is very close to what I would consider to be a really upscale shopping mall, right? West Farms is almost directly across the street oh. from this. So Jeez. think about that. Like he's burying all of his victims 
right across from a very busy shopping center. And even this plaza itself is very busy. It's a high traffic area. I was I was at West Farms today. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's where I got my nails done today. So this is like I know we've done Connecticut ones, but this is the one that's like closest. This one is really well, I guess minus Cheshire. But yeah, this is very close. This one, some some stuff happened in our town. So I, I mm-hmm. could see why this one hits hard. It was hard when I was researching it, trying to think about some of this stuff. Mm. So I, I had shared that, you know, B- Bill went south, right? He's waiting for the ground to thaw up. So by late April of 2003, it is time. He <laughs> drives back to Connecticut and uh, he is able to bury Melanie's body. And he says that this moment is when he realizes he literally has nothing left to lose. He knows Connecticut yeah. has the death penalty. He's going to get the same punishment for doing this to one woman as he would to many women. Mm. So yeah. for, for Bill, it was game on. Like, Ugh. it was it was go time. Man, that's a logical thought. I, I fault him for I it. I appreciate the rationale, but I wish he didn't have it because <laughs> then six well, other women would still right, be alive. Right, right. <laughs> But, Definitely. but it's a, I could see how he got from point A to mm-hmm. point B in this example. Like I right. said, that, that's that been the whole time. Not re- again, relatable is probably the wrong word, but uh, understandable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not that either. I know what you mean, and I think, I think our listeners will know mm-hmm. what you mean when you think about some of the other serial killers that right. are very heavily discussed. Like usually you can't follow their train of thought. Exactly. And with Bill, it's almost like we could predict what his next thought is going to be right. because it's not so far diverted from what you or I would think in a specific situation other than we don't want to rape and murder prostitutes. Right. He's like, it's like alternate universe bill was probably fine, you know, and yes. very, like someone we would know. Yeah. Yeah. And Ugh. possibly would have met at Cadillac Ranch. Yeah. Crazy. Bill's second victim is 26 year old Marilyn Gonzalez. She is described as always happy, always smiling. I don't know much more about her personally, um, some of his, there's just varying degrees of information available on, on each of the victims. Nilsa, obviously, mm-hmm. there's the most about it's why we dedicated the prior episode to her, and she really was the key to unraveling this whole mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for Marilyn, we don't know a ton about her other than Bill picks her up in Waterbury in May of 2003, brings her to the same McDonald's that he brought Melanie to. Once they had completed their their business that they went there for, he tied her up and proceeded to let the monster take over. Just like with Melanie, Bill would bring Marilyn to multiple locations, rape her multiple times Mm. at each. They went to a truck stop, like an 18-wheeler rest stop. We know we've got one of those in Southington. I was going to say, not in Southington, I hope. It didn't say where that one was, but it may have been Southington Mm -hmm. because the next location he brought her to was a motel in Southington. He said he couldn't remember if it was a Motel 6 or Motel 8. It was one of those that he brought her to. Um, And finally, a different McDonald's, this one in New Britain. Here, he raped her a couple more times before finally Mm -hmm. strangling her to death. Um, This McDonald's is very close to where his victims would ultimately be buried. Uh, So this is a very, very busy stretch of road. He is committing these crimes in literal plain sight. Thinking like this is all happening as people are going through the drive-through at McDonald's, and they're not—they are—they have no idea what's happening in the sketchy van that's just parked at the back of the parking lot. So is that like part of the thrill for him? Hmm, I don't know. I. I looked up this McDonald's because I, I figured I was like I probably had some food there before. <laughs> I have I'm familiar with it. It has a it has a very big parking lot for for a fast food okay. place I would say. So I think it gave him enough distance. 
I don't know. I think in a way, hiding in plain sight sometimes is one of the yeah. easier ways to hide because you're not really attracting suspicion. Right? No. And cars park and eat their food, you know, so it's exactly. not that it's a windowless van. So yeah, the van's a little bit better than if he was in like an SUV yep. or a car. Yep. Oh, crazy I, though. I, so I can only assume he picked this McDonald's based on like location mm-hmm. convenience. Um, it backed up into the woods. So it was very easy for him to pull his van up push the body out to kind of roll them down an embankment. And then when nobody was around, he would come back and hide them. So he would bury them. Wow. The area where he buried them, like in the woods, it was, I don't know if marshland is the Mm -hmm. right word, but it was kind of wet. So Mm -hmm. he, they were not buried very deep. They were shallow graves, maybe Mm -hmm. like three or four feet deep. I think there's actually something in smart about where he stored the bodies. The fact that it was near people, because I was thinking there are animals and all that. And he left for an entire winter and, nobody got to, no animal got to it but maybe because it was so close to humans that's why and also in a barrel for safekeeping yeah yeah but i don't know bears are pretty creative they yeah. get into trash cans i'm sure they can get exactly. into a barrel but you're right there's probably too much traffic in right. the area for there to be a lot of wildlife i have another grim fact for you guys Ooh. i'm full of them today I'm all right so bill actually would go through the drive through with his victims and his van in his van. I don't know why I said van. <laughs> he went through the drive-thru in his van. <laughs> I guess you work up quite the appetite being a vicious sexual predator. He, ever the southern gentleman, would ask them what they wanted for food and he would buy them oh, well, their last meal while they were in the van with him. Mm-hmm. And he would give it to them like very calmly, just like normal, like you were just hanging out with Bill in his van. He would feed you. I would put a curtain on a fish fillet if I knew my life was ending. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that. Marina loves fish fillets unlike any millennial I have ever met. Marina has the palate of my grandmother when it comes to fast food. (laughs) And I do not even like seafood. So whatever fish fillet is not seafood. (laughs) That's why you like it. They're made out of like a raccoon, a boot, and like the weird fish that gets caught in the net when you're trying to catch something else like a crab yes that's what a fish fillet is made out uh-huh. of give me that fillet of fish <laughs> isn't that a isn't give that me their, that fish yeah. <laughs> all of our listeners must just have a marina record at this point in time. it's like a marina soundboard we'll just exchange instead of the tis we'll just have marina yeah, we on need there a marina soundboard. i'm sorry what was that that's what people say but um tis but i think is what she means if you write it out i think you write but um tis Okay. All right, we'll, we'll reel us back in. So okay. he does he does turn the volume up very loud in the van. So if the victims try any funny business, it, it, the music drowns them out. Mm. He keeps them calm while they're in there because he basically says, you know, if you do what I want, I will let you go. Ugh. Like, no harm will come to you. That's the worst. And then, and then he's feeding them. So they're, they're probably kind yeah. of believing him. And yep. he even says himself, like, because Anne asked him, like, do you think the women were scared? Which, yeah, of course they were scared, but he says, no, they didn't really seem like it. Like, you know, you have to think about prostitutes being mistreated by their johns. Like, I probably wasn't the first person to kidnap some of these women. Um, So they're, you know, they're probably used to just johns doing things that they want to do. He's probably not entirely wrong. He's probably very wrong that they, I'm sure they were scared, but they probably did have a very terrible, uh, very terrible things happen to them. So again, Bill with the wisdom with the wisdom so let's move on to talk about his third victim Mm. his third victim janice roberts was a transgendered woman just an fyi for any of our listeners if you look up this case 
like I did, you are going to see Janice referred to by her birth name as Danny Wisnant. Mm. Um, just the, the court transcripts, a lot of that stuff, it all says Danny. So mm. Danny and Janice are one and the same, okay. but I'm going to refer to her as Janice. So after another unsuccessful night hunting for women at Cadillac Ranch, he strikes out. Bill stumbles upon Janice. It's, it's June of 2003, and he decides to pay her for her services. It, it does not go according to plan. Um, during the act, Bill grabs Janice's hair, and her hair comes off, which he's like, what? So it is a wig, and Bill oh. is furious. He does not like being deceived by people. I was just going to say, I bet that's more why he was mad. In an act of pure rage, he strangles Janice and kills her. He, it, this is, she does not fit the profile of his usual yeah. victims. He doesn't yeah. drive her around to multiple locations. He does not, he does not rape Janice at all. He is yeah. very adamant that all that Bill did was kill Janice because mm. he felt betrayed, misled. He did yeah. not like this. She was the only victim of his that is going to meet a swift end. Everybody else is drawn out. So mm. I, I suppose in some ways Janice got the, the best outcome of, of a yeah. serial, of encountering a serial killer, but yeah. it's it just still another senseless death. Like Janice didn't exactly. need to die. He could no. have, Bill could right. have kicked her out of the car. Yep. Ugh. So up until this point, Bill had a rule. Do not rape and kill anybody that you know. Simple, right? Pretty easy. Simp- it's simple as, as uh, what is it? Snitches get stitches. Yeah. Just as simple. He can't help himself though. Bill just literally cannot help himself. I know we spoke in great detail last episode about Nilsa's case, but I did leave out the details regarding what exactly happened to her, and it was because I was planning on sharing that as a part of this episode. So on July 25th of 2003, Nilsa Arismendi saw her friend Bill, Devin to her, mm-hmm. um, in a parking lot near the Almar Hotel where she and her boyfriend Ace were living. Nilsa ran up to the side of the van and excitedly asked Bill if he can give her a ride to Hartford. Um, so she could pick up some drugs. And Nilsa's not thinking she's in any danger, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's hung out with Bill and her boyfriend. Like, there was one time where they hung out in their room. They drank together. They smoked together. Like, they were casual acquaintances who, you know, they were very familiar with each other. So she's not thinking anything of it. She's got a ride from him a bunch. Mm-hmm. Not this time. So she enters his van, and Bill wants more than just gas money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the saying? Ask, ass, or grass? No one rides free. <laughs> Bill wants some ass this time. Mm-hmm. He is he does not want the gas money. So Nilsa herself is a sex worker, remember? So mm-hmm. she's really not phased by his request. And, and Bill does know that she's a sex worker, by the way. So mm-hmm. he's kind of like, you know, I'm not asking for anything out of the ordinary. It's a pretty easy request, Nilsa. So she does agree. He actually pays her, too, for, for their transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and she f- refuses to finish the job. Bill gets very angry. So what we're kind of seeing now is this very calculated, logical person is now starting to kind of lose it a little bit Mm -hmm. and give in to his emotions Mm -hmm. because in his anger, he decides he's going to rape Nilsa. He said that when he first met her and her boyfriend, they stole $20 out of his van. So now what he sees is her trying to take back something that he paid her for Mm -hmm. and not finishing the service he was paid for. So he sees it as like, she's stealing from me again, this strung out prostitute Mm -hmm. taking my money, good for nothing. Like, so just in pure rage, Mm -hmm. he decides that he's going to rape her. Nilsa does not go down without a fight. So she fights back. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Bill said he had to hit her on the side of the head with a wrench so she would stop fighting back. It didn't knock her unconscious, but it, it, 
made her semi-conscious so mm. she really couldn't fight back and she was a little bit more compliant. So he drives his van to the back of a parking lot, you know, a little more private of a location than where he picked her up, kind of in broad sight, and he rapes her in this location. He then drove to another location, raped her two or three more times, and he got a little tired, so he took a cat nap next to her while she was just hanging out in his vehicle. She's still alive, right? He oh hasn't strangled her yet. So he just, you know, took a little nap to build his energy back up. He's really gotten uh, more comfortable in his role. He really yeah. has. And more disgusting in some ways. Uh, mm. When he wakes up, he drives to a third location, a Motel 6, and he takes the duct tape off of her mouth and made her perform oral sex on him so he could rape her a few more times. Ugh. So this happens. Once he's satisfied, he strangles her in the back of the parking lot of the Motel 6. He claims he was not planning on doing this. When he picked up Nilza that night, this was not his plan. He just got really angry because she tried to steal from him, and this was just mm. his response. He lashed out. But, you know, yeah, he knew her. He did break his rule about not raping and killing anybody that he knows personally. But you know what? She was a drug-addicted sex worker, so she put herself in harm's mm. way. Those are not my feelings. Those yeah. are Bill's feelings, for the <laughs> record. <laughs> okay. Wasn't sure if it was yeah. clear. <laughs> so we, we all know that his crime against Nilsa is what's going to be his undoing. But unfortunately, because her boyfriend Ace is a suspect in her disappearance, Bill is free to roam the streets mm -hmm. and kill again. It's now that we can see that the formerly composed, calm, and collected Bill is starting to act more based on anger mm -hmm. than calculated thoughts, right? We're all kind of picking yeah. up on this pattern. He's, he's devolving, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. In the 10 weeks that follow, Bill is going to kill three more victims. So now wow. his timeline is escalating a yep. little bit, too. His fifth victim is a woman named Mary Jane Menard. She has what I personally would consider to be the most tragic story of all the victims, like in terms of how she crossed paths with him. Mm -hmm. She battled with alcohol addiction in her early years, and she actually came out of the other side wanting to help others. So oh. she got over her addiction, and now she wants to help other people do the same. So she became a substance abuse counselor. Oh. Good for her. Yeah. She was a single mom. She worked multiple jobs, and she pursued her education. MJ, as her friends called her, had a back surgery, and she ended up suffering oh. from chronic pain. She gets addicted to the prescription oh, painkillers no. that her doctors put her on shortly after her surgery. Um, I am assuming that heroin is cheaper or easier yeah. to get a hold of than pills because that's what she ends up using after a while. I think it's way cheaper. I've, I've watched a lot of intervention and that's unfortunately a very common story where somebody has been legitimately on pain medication and, and becomes addicted. And it's exactly that. It's harder to get and it's more expensive and they turn to heroin or something similar. And it's really heartbreaking. I mean, it all is, but yeah. um, I'm with you. That's really sad. And I, I know people that this happened mm -hmm. to. Like, I know people who have had some sort of a surgery. They've been on prescription painkills and then once their prescription runs out, like they're still addicted to them. Yeah. And you don't really get offered a lot of help to, to break that addiction. I mean, fortunately, like the, the people that I know in my life were able to get yeah, clean, wow. but it's, it's hard. Yeah. So this is, this is a woman too with MJ. She's seen firsthand what addiction right. can do to other people. Yeah. She was an addict, right? She helps other people get through their addictions and it still happened mm -hmm. to her. Mm -hmm. So it can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. You are not a bad person because you are addicted to drugs. Like, right. it is an addiction. It is a condition, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for MJ, her heroin usage leads to a downward spiral. Mm. She helped others overcome their addiction, but she could not help herself, as is the case with a lot of things in life. I think 
we all talk about how we use our, our group here to kind of help us cope with anxiety because mm-hmm. when you're in your own head, it's so much different than when somebody else is telling you. It's something. really hard to practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I usually say, do as I say, not as I do. Correct. <laughs> yes. Also, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Those would probably be my two mantras in life. I could definitely have pegged the second one. Yeah. <laughs> as yours. Yep. Yep. In late September of early or early October of 2003, MJ is working the streets to pay oh. for her heroin addiction. We talked last time about how expensive heroin can mm-hmm. be. Um, so she gets picked up by Bill. Oh. And he repeats his pattern of raping, relocating, raping again, and then eventually strangling his victims once he is done with them. So mm-hmm. that's what happens with mm-hmm. MJ. Her obituary says that she overcame many obstacles in her life and was admired for her hard work, dedication, and drive. Her daughter, Tiffany, was actually interviewed. So there was stuff in the book from Tiffany. Tiffany spoke Mm. with Ann Howard. Um, And Tiffany says, you know, while she loved her mom, she obviously disagreed with some of her choices, like her heroin usage. She said she always held on to hope that someday she would see her mom again. Um, One of the choices, other than the heroin usage, that Tiffany disagreed with was her mom was dating a man named Sammy that she met through her job. So he was struggling with AIDS. He was a heroin addict um, for almost 13 years, right, between when MJ went missing and when her body was identified. Tiffany hated her mother. She thought that she chose drugs over her children. She So she chose Sammy and drugs Mm -hmm. and just left them. That was what all of her and her siblings thought. And, you know, they kind of blamed Sammy to some extent for taking their mother away. Sammy committed suicide. He was so distraught oh. about MJ just disappearing and the allegations from the family. Oh my he just, he seemed like he genuinely cared for her and he just, he didn't want to exist without her. Oh, so sad. Like secondary victims. Mm-hmm. That's, that mm-hmm. was why I wanted to include that because Sammy is not a direct victim. But if Bill never would mm-hmm. have taken MJ right. away from him, I believe Sammy would not have committed suicide mm-hmm. at that point in time. So... Um, the kids blame themselves for Sammy's death. They blame themselves for hating their mom for 13 years. But it's just hard because you never want to think the worst case scenario, like that mom is dead. It's easier and better, I think, ultimately, Mm -hmm. to hope that she's out there somewhere and just choosing Mm -hmm. to stay away. They thought, worst case, her end would have been met by ODing in a hotel room somewhere. They could have never imagined the horrific truth of what happened to their mother. Awful. Absolutely devastating. So Diane Cusack is going to be Bill's sixth victim. Diane is 55 years old. She, like the other victims, had a known substance abuse problem. There's probably the least information available Mm -hmm. on her because she was actually estranged from her family. So Diane was never even reported missing because there wasn't anybody to report her missing. Um, And how many prostitutes does that happen to across the country? Yep, So many, I'm sure. And Ian, when you go to report them missing to the police, like we saw with Nilsa, like usually, and I'm sure there's a reason they do this, but usually the first response is give it a couple days and right. see if they show up. Right. It's just very sad. So with Diane, it's October of 2003. Bill picks her up at 2 a.m., actually behind the shopping plaza in New Britain. So she's real convenient for him. Oh. He does drive her around to multiple locations. He rapes her at each of them. Their final stop was a McDonald's parking lot. Really loves McDonald's. Really, He rapes her in the parking lot until about noon. So again, as all these people oh are going gosh. through the drive-thru, getting their Egg McMuffins and their coffees, these horrible atrocities are happening like just beyond. Wow. He also strangles her when he is done. So big time pattern here, right, mm-hmm. that we see. His seventh victim 
his, and his youngest, was 23-year-old Joyveline Martinez. She went by Joy. She was the only other victim than Nilsa to put up a fight. Mm. He said he picked her up in Hartford, and then he drove her to a bowling alley on the Berlin Turnpike, where he raped her several times. As a side note, I have literally been to team building activities for I work at that bowling alley. I was just going to ask. Yeah. Yes. It is the one you are thinking of. Oh, my God. Yep. He said she was fighting back. He was getting annoyed. So he punched her in the nose. And she gave him no more trouble after Ugh. that. I, I probably would, too. After mm-hmm. being struck in the nose, I'd be a little startled. Um, he brought her to another location. He raped her. And finally, he went to... Good old McDonald's. Of course, yep. Where he eventually strangled her. She would be his final victim. All seven women would be placed in the same wooded area behind that shopping plaza in New Britain, Connecticut. Some people have said that Howell called this area his garden, and he would visit this from time to time. Howell says that's not true. He never called it his garden. That was just something that an inmate made up because, you know, it's cooler when you have something like that in the story. He said, nope, not a garden. Well, they do joke about in prison, if you ever need a good landscaper, you know who to call. Yeah. yeah. So from my my take is there, he must have referred to something at one point in time, even if it was kind of like in jest. It feels dirty to say that. But he, you know, he, he must have said it once. I don't know how somebody, if, if they just came up with it, good for them. Very creative. So speaking of things that Bill says that inmates made up and he never did, there are a few nicknames for Bill, right? Most serial killers have nicknames. So he says he did not come up with these things himself. He had names such as the Sick Ripper of CT, or just the Sick Ripper, Hilly Billy, because he was a Southern gentleman. Mm. I like Hilly Billy. Wild Bill, not as original. And this isn't a name for him, but this is a name for his van. Um, He called it the Murder Mobile. Again, no. we all love alliteration. Bill denies this. He says, I did not come up with any of these things. This is just the other inmates letting their imaginations run wild. Fair. So since Bill doesn't seem to be attached to any of these names, I thought maybe I could do better. Maybe <laughs> I could come up with a remix, if you will. Yes. I'm so excited. Yes. So I thought Golden Arches Killer, which may be a thing. Oh. I don't know. But a lot of a lot of his activity happened at McDonald's. Yeah. So I was don't very inspired. Ruin fish fillets for me <laughs> i'm so sorry do you want a side of murder with your fish fillet now i have to worry about murderers Would you like in the mcdonald's parking lot yes how about the mick murderer Ooh. oh oh that's that's got my vote next one a little lazy but kill bill oh okay kill bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and lastly predator who robbed the world of seven bright lights but that's kind of a mouthful to say right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's good though it's, it's good. good it's good so We've talked a lot about Bill's upbringing. We've talked about his victims now. We all know their names. Why did he target these women, right? What did they have in common? So over the years, Bill's opened up to Ann Howard about his crime um, or crimes. The two of them have had many, many conversations attempting to analyze why Bill did what he did. She asks him why, mm-hmm. why he thinks. He told Ann that he always had a dark fantasy involving raping prostitutes. Like as long as he could remember, this was a fantasy he played out in his mind. He said he never felt like he had to talk himself out of doing it. That was never a thought that crossed his mind. Rather, he hit a point where he convinced himself, I can do this. So he... Kill people? Rape, yep, rape prostitutes. Kill wasn't really part 
he he wanted to rape prostitutes. That was his dark fantasy. The killing was like a byproduct, okay. like a, a necessary thing he had to do. He didn't enjoy the killing. It was the raping that was his jam. Oh, so like can do it as in I can do whatever I want. I like can I'm do it. it. Like I'm psyching myself up. Oh. Like I got this. I'm going to pull the trick. I could go. I could do it. Huh. He so readily disassociates himself from his crimes. Like he is, he is just truly fascinating. He says that he committed the crimes, but they weren't him. He says he was just acting out a part when he committed the crimes. But to, to Bill's victims, like, the horror is real. This is not yeah. a joke. This is not a performance he's putting on. But He that's, literally killed people. That's yeah. how he thinks of it in his oh. mind. He thinks it's a performance. So to Bill, these women, they weren't people. He just saw them as lesser beings. He had mm. no respect for drug-addicted sex workers. He felt like they're bad people who put themselves in harm's way, and after he killed one of them, the streets were a little bit cleaner without them. Mm. Wow, what a martyr. Right? Ugh. Just, ugh. I just find him to be so, like, fascinatingly disturbing. Mm-hmm. He's so self-aware and a walking yeah. contradiction in everything yes. that he does. Right. So he doesn't view himself as a bad person. He's just a good person who's made some very bad mistakes. But isn't it ironic that he doesn't see the same in his victims? They're not good oh. people who have made some very bad mistakes. They are bad people. Right. Well, huh. he needs to justify his behavior. Right. Right. He doesn't have any remorse for killing his victims, but he feels terrible for their families and the pain he put them through. After all, the families are good people, and they didn't do anything to put themselves in harm's way, and they they didn't deserve the pain. Okay, yeah. Empathy is a very weird trait for a serial killer. Very bizarre. Um, To illustrate even further how broken something in his brain has to be, he says, yeah, I, I did rape them, but it's not like I did anything super sadistic to them. It was just rough sex. Like, I didn't, like, put anything in them or torture them. It was just sex. Oh, yeah, that makes it okay. It's better. Yeah. It's better that way. And, and he also said, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but he, he always told them to stay calm. He reassured them, like, I'm going to let you go if you just do what I want. Which is funny because he gets so mad when he's betrayed. Yes. So he is just a walking contradiction. Mm. I, I just, uh, he's fascinating, right? Yeah. In the most disturbing way. So what set him off? Why Why did this happen all of a sudden in 2003? So Ann Howard actually asks him if he felt like he committed these crimes to retaliate against wrongs that women had done to him in his life. Like, for example, Mandy keeping his two children away from him. Oh, okay. He says, "Mm," he says maybe on some subconscious level, but like really when it came down to it, they were kind of just crimes of opportunity. Yeah. His literal only criteria was that his victim be a drug addicted prostitute he had no preference for age no preference for physical appearance just had to be a woman who was a sex worker and was addicted to drugs which unfortunately often go hand in hand and was probably given his experience easy to find he said that he picked up hundreds of prostitutes right we talked Mm -hmm. about that and a lot of them were addicted to drugs and he let them go so do you want to know what it really came down to for Bill? I do. Your, your mind is going to be blown when I tell you this. You've already blown my mind like 15 times. This is the this. biggest explosion. <laughs> it was scheduling. He said that he would plan to pick up women when he didn't have work the next day because it gave him time to drive around his victims. <gasps> so it was literally, can I pencil in murder today? <laughs> that was the deciding factor. So That's if really you, thoughtful. if Bill picked you up, 
like it was just a total crapshoot. If he had to go to work the next day, he was going to let you go after, you know, you did what you did. I just, when I read that, I was like, again, the weird logical thing, right? It was just scheduling. But this, this does explain why when we'll post photos of the victims Mm -hmm. and they, some of them have some things in common, but he doesn't have a type. It's literally just the opportunity presented itself and my calendar was free tomorrow. So I did it. I actually have a weird phobia of like just crossing the wrong person at the wrong time, just in complete happenstance. Like I just happen to get behind somebody in line somewhere and I'm the person that like just fits into that that schedule. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. because it can, you can be leading a perfectly fine life and anything can happen. Yep. So where is dear Bill now? Well, Bill's in prison. (laughs) We know this from the show opener um, because he was serving a 15 year sentence Mm -hmm. for Nils's murder. Um, but what, what ended up happening was that on June 7th, 2017, the prosecution offers him a plea deal. It's not really a lot, uh, much of a deal. It's uh, 360 years in prison, 60 for each victim. Mm. So he tells Anne he's thinking about taking the deal. The prosecutor, our pal Brian Proleski, he, he presents the evidence that the state has on Bill, um, the location of the remains, the witness testimony of his former cellmates, jailhouse snitches. Did you, jailhouse snitches he had previously confessed to i say in quotations because bill denies this Mm -hmm. um the dna from the van there's a lot there's a lot of evidence and and this time bill's like yeah i'm gonna take the deal (laughs) so bill will be living out the rest of his days in prison he is currently at cheshire correctional institute Mm. serving his 360 years right now and he will definitely die in prison yeah so his his max release date is november 16th uh 2,377. Wow. I can't believe they actually put that on paper. They do, yeah. He's also in PC, I assume, just because he's so... What is that? Notorious. Protective protective custody. I I don't know the lingo. I wondered (laughs) why he was in protective custody, because I I was thinking, is it like, do they do that with all serial killers? Is that kind of just de facto? Do you request to be in PC? I don't think it's de facto. I think it's just... um, if you're notorious, his case was highly publicized, yep. and so they put him there to protect him. The notorious WDH. Yeah. It's almost has Not a quite as it. smooth as yeah. the notorious BIG, no. but I, I feel what you were going yeah. for there, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Listen, he just wants to live out his days. He wants his rec time, and he loves Halloween. That's all he wants. Simple life. Well, he has 360 Halloweens to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> so many Halloweens. So many prison Halloweens. <laughs> As I was writing up, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, it's okay. As I was writing up my notes for this episode, I realized that he's actually the first serial killer we discussed on the podcast. Yes, he is. What's even crazier to me is that we talked about this. This all happened in 2003. Yeah. Like more, far more modern day. Usually I'm thinking about serial killers in the 70s and 80s. Why is that? I don't know why. Because it was easier to kill a lot of people and not get tracked down in the 70s and 80s than it is now. This one just hits so close to home yeah. for the three of us. Like, I I know Laura and I didn't live in the state in the early 2000s, but, I mean, when the trial was going on, we definitely were mm-hmm. living here. And it it's crazy because I don't remember this being in the news I that either. much. I, like, I don't know if I was even aware that there was there were bodies found and there was a no. serial killer that was allegedly out there. I, I don't remember any of that. So I asked my husband, like, do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And he said... 
No, I don't. I have no memory of this. He's not really as into true crime as we are, so I wasn't as surprised. <laughs> I remember hearing about it. I remember hearing about a bunch of bodies being near the Target in New mm. Britain. Mike had an interesting theory on this one, and let's see if I can word this eloquently. He basically said that the reason we didn't hear a lot about this was the victims mm-hmm. were low societal Mm -hmm. value and bill himself is low societal Mm -hmm. value right blue collar guy you know people who other people would look down or think lesser on with like prostitutes and drug addicts i don't feel that way and i know my husband doesn't feel that way but he was just trying to think like if you're in the media and you're giving things attention what's going to get more attention some like rich heiress or celebrity Uh that does something or a landscaper who killed a yep. bunch of women. That was my first thought, actually, because that was that was the big thing, like John Benet Ramsey and yes. Fotos Dulos, like that whole thing. All of that is all, you know, um, the opposite of what we're talking about here. Well, I think too, if you think about the media, by the time they discovered all these bodies, they already had him. Yes. So there was no real like reign of terror. There was no nobody was in jeopardy. Like think of how the media must have clung to like Ted Bundy type cases where this person's out. Look at this sketch like they could be at your door. Like the horror is already over by the time they figured out that he's done this. So they report it. But you'd think that people aren't as interested as they would be if he was still at large Definitely. and they want That's to know you know where they could run into him so it's That's probably a combination point. of yeah. all yep. of these things not gonna get as many likes and follows on social media if they post that right no yep always got to do it for the gram got to do it. <laughs> so that that concludes our discussion on william wow. devon howell I I gotta say for all of our gremlins um, we hope you enjoyed this episode I I really thoroughly enjoyed researching this one it was very different than some of the other cases that we've covered so far I went I really jumped in head head first here and I knew almost nothing about him so it was really cool to hear about it awesome well remember gremlins listen learn and stay alive and maybe be extra alert next time you go through the McDonald's (laughs) drive-thru I know I will be If you're loving Grimm, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to see case photos, follow us on Instagram at Grimm Crime Podcast. If you want to give us a case suggestion, just say, hey, send me hate mail for making you wait a week. I'm still waiting for it. Uh, Email us at GrimmCrimePodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.